whom have young kids right now, but I think most of you have had, have had young kids or you know of young kids. And one of the most terrifying things as a parent is when your child begins to walk and then learns to run. And you open the door to the big wide world outside and it seems like there's a magnet in the street that's attached to like the feet of your child. And you open that door and the first place they run is straight for the street. What is the word that comes from your mouth, parents, when you see your child making a bolt to the street? Stop! No, stop, don't go there! Why? You tell me, why? This is, inter- this is a little interactive, why? Could get hurt. Why don't you want your child to get hurt? Exactly, yeah. yeah this, is, this is not rocket science, okay? I promise you. <laughs> you don't want them to get hurt. You love them. So you, do, so, you do what you, so, you, so you tell them to stop. You tell them no so that they will be protected, right? Is that any different in God's house? With God's church, with God's family? I don't think we could legitimately say God was a loving father if he didn't say no occasionally. And why does he say no? Because he loves us. He wants to protect us from that which is evil and false and what? What happens when we protect our kid from running out in the street? Good. They get to play in the yard instead, instead of having to go to the hospital or worse. And for God's family, He wants us to be protected for our good. So let me ask a question. Why would we want our brothers and sisters to spiritually run off into things that are destructive for them? We don't. I mean, really, in our heart of hearts as believers, we don't. But what we need to understand is one of the means that God uses to accomplish that is that gospel love must sometimes say no. And that's what this passage this morning is teaching us about is how to say no. In some things. So, would you stand with me as we read and honor God in His Word through 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7? Paul talking to Timothy As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying 
or the things about which they make confident assertions. You may be seated. Gospel love must sometimes say no. Now that's, that's a hard word in life to hear, right? In any situation or circumstance with something that you want, maybe want. Or you're trying to accomplish something and the answer at the end of, the, at the end of it's no. And in the church, why should, we, why, why, should there be, why should we say no sometimes? Why can't it just be like, well, whatever, whatever you want. Let, well, let's just go there. Let's try that. Why, why do we so, sometimes need to say no? Well, first, we must say no because the truth matters most. Look at what Paul says to Timothy. Remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Now, what's the problem with different doctrine? He doesn't outright call it false. What's the problem with different doctrine? Well, different doctrine by its very nature is false because what he's saying is different doctrine is different than the, one, than the, than the orthodox teaching of Christianity, the orthodox teaching of Christ and his apostles. And anything different than that is false because it doesn't come from God. And here there, there, there are people in Ephesus teaching different doctrine. And what might that be? <laughs> we could, there's, there's a long, long, several thousand year, his, couple thousand year history of the church dealing with all sorts of different doctrine, false doctrine. Whether that's from Jesus is not fully man, Jesus is not fully God, to, um, to our, closer to our modern day where if you, are, if you are not healthy, the reason you're not healthy is because you don't have enough faith. Or God's real aim for you is not to die to your sin and live to him and live forever in heaven. It's so that you can be healthy and wealthy and happy here. And now, you can have your best life now. But perhaps something that is more insidious and can be a, a strong danger for us here today are two errors. Legalism and antinomianism. Well, let's break these down. Legalism. I think we might know what that is. That is the Jesus and, Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus rules, Jesus plus don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with the girls that do. It is the addition of rules which God never said to somehow somehow make yourself seem or feel more holy. And oftentimes, legalism comes from people who want to seem more holy than they really are and make others feel less holy than they, than they are. It's the addition of stuff 
and it puts burdens on people's backs and it weighs them down. It is not the gospel, grace through faith in Christ. But there is also the opposite error. Antinomianism literally just means no law. And what that is, is do whatever you want, church. God will forgive you. You want to do this thing? Go for it. God will forgive you. God doesn't really care about sin. He took care of that at the cross. You don't need to change how you live. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was... um, who resisted the Nazis in World War II. He was a Lutheran pastor. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. To say that being saved by grace through faith means that nothing changes in our life and that we shouldn't care about living in a certain way for Christ, he calls that cheap grace. It's a grace that doesn't change things. And it ignores the true character of God who very, very much cares about our holiness. In fact, he cares about it so much, that's why he sent Jesus to die. Cheap grace denies the need for Jesus to come. And so we must, as Timothy was charged here, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Because different doctrine is false. Tim Challey is an author and a a, um, speaker said this, false doctrine is like a beautiful, attractive piece of candy laced with poison. Oh, it looks so good. It looks so appealing. I mean, (laughs) let's be honest. If we can just do whatever we want and not have to conform to the image of Christ and just say it's all wiped away and we can just get on with our lives and do whatever we want instead of what Jesus wants, there's a temptation there. That sounds appealing, but guess what? It's death. And it denies the God who saves us. So this is what different doctrine is. Different doctrine also comes from the wrong focus, because he says, teach, not just to not teach, from, teach any different doctrine, nor, verse 4, to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations. Now, there's a variety of things that this could be. Um, perhaps, the, um, perhaps the two biggest... Well, perhaps one of the biggest ones in evangelicalism, the, um, not so much these days, but it's, it's still a powerful presence out there, is the whole idea of prophecy. I don't know if you've ever gotten in your mailbox, and I, I never keep them, so I, I don't have a copy, but have you ever gotten in your mailbox this really, really elaborately um, illustrated um, pamphlet or flyer inviting you to a prophecy conference and it has like this picture of like a winged beast and then a whole, then in another picture like bowls of wrath being poured out and and stuff like this it, it, it's it's based on the book of revelation but basically what it does is it tries to make 
speculation, fact, as if this is the only way to understand this, is if you put it up on the big felt board, this huge timeline and chart, and you need to know that the helicopters are coming, coming because those are the locusts in the book of Revelation. And the people who are into that, it's not just that they think, not just that they kind of give that some consideration, they are devoted to it. They pay attention to that. And we are in danger, church, of devoting ourselves or paying attention to things that are secondary. He doesn't say that the myths and endless genealogies are in and of themselves bad. It's the devotion to them that's the problem. God never says, well, don't read any other books aside from the Bible. He says, there's a place for it, and it's not first. And these certain persons are putting those things first. For them, it was Jewish myths, elaborations and kind of fantasies put together by people to try to hammer home certain points that the Jewish people, that um, certain Jewish groups wanted put forward. There's a book called The Book of Jubilees that, they, that was apparently very heavily relied on. That was myths and endless genealogies. And they promote speculations. But what's the problem with speculations? What's the, what, is the pro, what is probably the biggest problem with different doctrine? The problem is that different doctrine gets in the way of the gospel. Look what it says. Which promotes speculation or promote speculations rather than what? The stewardship from God that is by faith. What do we get from God? We get good news and a commission to take that news and make disciples with it. Stewardship. Being given something of somebody else's to take care of it. And that's what the church is here to do. We are here to be filled with God's Holy Spirit to do the, to do the work of Christ. To make His name known. To make His message known. To teach what accords, as He doesn't say it here, but to teach what accords, He says in other places, what accords with sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, right doctrine, good doctrine. Now, we also live in a day where the word doctrine gets a bad rap. It just does. And I don't know if that's because of... And it's probably because of the way it's been abused. Because usually doctrine, sometimes the people who really hammer home the word doctrine usually have way too much of it or they're way too mad with it. And so the rest of us who want, want a nice balance of, yes, Jesus punishes sin, but also Jesus is really joyful and wants love and peace and joy for us, well, what do we do with the word doctrine? Well, we throw it out. Well, we shouldn't. Doctrine really matters. What we teach as a church matters so very much because it shapes how we think about God. It shapes how we think about people. 
So when I use the words theology or I encourage you to read a theological book or something like that, like, for instance, gentle and lowly, I'm not doing it from a place of, like, I want to just beat you with doctrine. I want to teach you that which accords with good. And if Paul is telling Timothy this, this is especially important for the church's leaders. What comes out of our mouths, church leaders, must be sound doctrine. Must be this stewardship from God that is by faith. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation. In one sense, it's alleviated now by stadium seats, but have you ever been in a theater where it's just kind of a gentle slope and you sit down and you get ready for the movie and lo and behold, the biggest guy on the planet comes sauntering up, scooching his way through, through the row and he sits down with his bowl of popcorn right in front of you, even though there's a hundred seats, other places he could sit, right? And it's always a guy. It's... <laughs> How did, and I'm not, I'm not getting after you guys who, who are big, by the way. I'm just saying, what are you thinking about if somebody who, is, who crowds out your vision of the movie or distracts you from the movie, what are you thinking about? You ain't thinking about the movie. You ain't thinking about what you came there to see. That's what different doctrine does to the gospel. It crowds it out. It distracts us from it. It removes... Well, actually, it leads us away from the mission we were sent here and we are kept here to do. So we must say no because the truth matters most. But why do we say that? Why do we do that? What's to be our motive? Because as I said, people have used doctrine, even true doctrine, to just take a club to people and just bam, bam, bam. Fundamentalism began actually as an okay thing, as a proper response to theological liberalism, but then it turned into Bible beating. It turned into legalism. Why should Timothy tell these guys to stop, these certain persons to stop? Paul and Timothy want these guys to repent. They want them to actually stop. What motive wants someone to stop doing evil and do good instead? To look at Jesus instead of at worthless things. Well, the gospel is the truth of God's glory displayed in love. We must say no, secondly, because we're about love. And that's exactly where Paul goes next. He says, because lest we should think that this is just to be power plays, by Timothy and his, and his mentor Paul on this church. He says, verse 5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart 
and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Yes, they're to say, they're to say, stop. No, do not teach this different doctrine. And church leaders, elders, have the authority to say that. But it comes, and it should always come, from a posture of love. And not just like nice feelings kind of love, but what does he mean when he says love? He's, it's the love for God and the love for neighbor, the great commandment Jesus gave. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The charge comes from that because if we, value the, if, we, if we say we love God, then we should really value the truth that he gives. And secondly, love is love, for, love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you really like being deceived? How do you feel when you find out that you've been snookered? I, was, I got suckered one time with one of those emails, those scam emails. It looked legit to me at the time. So I sent them some information. And I look at my bank account, and lo and behold, somebody in Barcelona, Spain is sucking out hundreds of bucks. No one likes being deceived. Deceit comes from a, from a posture of hatred and lovelessness. This charge to stop teaching falsehood comes from a posture of love your neighbor as yourself. But this isn't just some love that we can just drum up. This is love that issues from three places. Issues from a pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith. As one commentator said, the pure heart, the pure in heart, are people who have their hearts continually cleansed from sins by the purifying work of God. And as I told the kids, our God-given ability to know right from wrong, our conscience, It has to come from God who renews in us a sense of right and wrong. Because what sin does is it scars and sears and calluses our, our conscience against right, against the things of God, against that which is good. And thirdly, it comes from a sincere faith. And that word sincere really means unhypocritical. It's like it's the real deal. And so the question is, is does, that person's, does the person's life and lips, to use a phrase, does that, person life, does that person's life and lips agree? Do they not only speak sound doctrine, but do they hold themselves by the same standard? And let me tell you, as somebody who is charged to speak and teach a lot, there is a huge temptation for those of us in leadership to talk a lot of talk and try to, well, don't pay attention to the walk over here. So if we look at this, 
The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And if you've examined yourself for more than two seconds, you're going to realize, man, that is a tall order. It is only through Christ and his constant grace and mercy upon us that we can live in love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith that loves God with our all and loves our neighbor as ourself. We are works in progress in that way. Saying no in the church to what is false does not, should not be from a place of just wanting to get our way. Because as 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not seek its own. We must say no because we're about love. And if we are about love, as we should be if we're saved by grace, by the grace of God through faith in Jesus, then we should recognize that not just the truth is at stake in saying no. It's that people are in danger. Thirdly, we must say no because people are in danger. Look at this. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, verse 6, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. How does this passage say that people are in danger? Well, it says these certain people are drifting from love, love of God and love of neighbor. They're drifting from the good gifts of the Holy Spirit in us, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And Tim Challey, as I mentioned, author and speaker, talks about things that are almost right. So close to being right that they seem plausible, but they're not. And if you hold to those, as these certain persons do, you swerve away from a pure heart. You swerve away from a good conscience. You swerve away from an unhypocritical faith. And I know that in my own life. When I have believed things or even tried to teach things and then come to the, come to the conviction, oh shoot, I'm off over here. This is here. God is here. We're told this so that we can confess and repent and be, and be restored. But just a few degrees off can eventually get us way off course. You guys ever read um, Laura Ingalls Wilder, Little House on the Prairie stuff? There's, there's one book that I'm reading right now called The Long Winter. And there's this part in, in it where the girls, of whom Laura is one of the daughters, they're at the schoolhouse, which is outside of town. 
And suddenly a blizzard just slams into the schoolhouse. And somebody from town comes to get them. And when they open the door to go, to go out, it's white. They can't see anything, so they have to stay close together in order to, in order to get back to town. Well, the trouble is, is the towns aren't, like, aren't quite like they are today. It was basically one or two streets and maybe about a block or two each, and that was the town. So guess what? A couple degrees off, and you are lost in the prairie forever. You're dead. And, it, and she, she records, Laura, Laura says, they were walking, and they weren't finding anything, and they, they thought, we should, be, we should be at the town by now. And then she's, her shoulder, she didn't even see it, her shoulder slams into something. Well, it's the hotel at the edge of town. And she calls everybody back there, and they're saved. And she says, quote, beyond it, that building, was nothing but the railroad track covered with snow, the lonely depot, and the wide open prairie. If Laura had been only a few ste- steps nearer the others, they would have all been lost on the endless prairie north of town. These people are in danger by teaching different doctrine. They have wandered away, but not just... It is into a trackless waste, into what? Vain discussion. They can drift from love, they can waste time and breath. What are our words to be used for, church? Have you ever wondered about that? Why has God given us a mouth to speak when we need to listen so much more? (laughs) I don't know if you ever told your kids this. You got two ears and one mouth. There's a reason. What are we to be saying with that mouth? Scripture gives all sorts of exhortations what we are to be doing with our mouths. We're to be building up one another. We are to be teaching what accords with sound doctrine. We are to be stopping what does not accord with sound doctrine, demolishing strongholds, Paul calls it in another place. Vain discussion draws others' people away. It wastes our precious time and our breath here. I mean, Scripture even calls us, who are we? We are but a breath. Our time on this planet is so short. And we have the work of God to do. We ought not to be mincing words about that. Vain discussion does not have a place in the Christian life. It needs to be corrected. It needs to be stopped. And we, perhaps, of many generations, perhaps have a stronger temptation towards vain discussion. Why? Because we have the world at our fingertips. We only need to reach in our pocket, and we can get out so much information. And we can talk about so many different things. And I'm not saying talking about things is bad, but I'm, at, but I'm asking, do we spend more time on that stuff than we do on, the, on God and His Word to telling that to to each other, to people who need to hear the gospel of Christ? Do we stuff our minds so full of that information that we don't have room for God's instruction from his word? 
And this is a question for us leaders and those who would be leaders in this church. Is what you're going to say or what you have said have some eternal weight to it? Is it the things of God? Is it tied to and tied rightly to what he has revealed in his word? Because our business is to be about disciples, about making God known. But if we rely on that other stuff, we can not, on, not only drift from love and waste time and breath, we can be arrogant and ignorant. Look what he says. They have wandered away into vain discussion. Look at this. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confidence assertions. Now is what... Now, is he saying that being a teacher of the law is bad? No. No, in fact, we should encourage people to be teachers of the law, teachers of God's word, teachers of God's book, teachers of God's instruction. And in fact, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that to desire to do that is a noble thing, but you can't self-appoint. These guys were self-appointing themselves, desiring to be teachers of the law, so they just start doing it without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Have you guys ever been in a situation where you have had a strong temptation to fake it till you make it? You know what I mean? Where you don't really know what you're talking about, but you've got to keep talking and instead of admitting your ignorance, you just keep going. <laughs> These guys are arrogant and ignorant, not only about the things that they should be saying, but they don't even know what they think they're saying. But they're doing it confidently. Man, do we have a world full of people who can do that. And the church should reflect differently. We, it's okay to say we don't know. It's okay to not be the blind leading the blind. And then both fall into a pit. Because these people, in their arrogance and ignorance, are not holding to love issuing from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And because they aren't holding that, they don't know how to handle the law. People who don't have that kind of heart posture, that change in them, wield the law of God as though it had nothing to do with Jesus Christ and the gospel. And that deceives people. And if people are being deceived, guess where they're not being led to? They're not being led to Christ. And guess what that is? That's damning. So these people in love need to be stopped. If this happens in our church, we should expect our leaders to say, stop. Because people are 
in danger if this is allowed to continue. Gospel love must sometimes say no. Now, let's not pretend like this is easy, by the way. Okay, it's one thing to shout at your kids as they're running toward the street, stop. They're your kids. They're smaller than you. Sometimes you have that attitude like, I, put, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. We don't usually think about fellow church people that way. This is kind of a difficult situation, and this is why Paul tells Timothy to do this. Because it's hard. It's hard to tell someone, stop it. Unless you're Bob Newhart. It's hard to say no to someone. And I'm going to be honest. It's hard to say no, and there will be a temptation in this church. Because we are, let's, let's, let's say it, we are smaller than some. There is a temptation in smaller churches to just smooth over saying no because someone is filling a key role or making substantial contributions or gathering a following. But who are we to please? Where does the charge come from? The aim of our charge should be love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. We're not to please fallen man who has not suffered and died in our place to rescue us from sin. We're to please Christ who has lavishly given his life so that we could have eternal life and who has given us the gospel and sound doctrine that refreshes and renews people's hearts rather than crushes them. And we're given faith in true love. And for that, and for him, gospel love must sometimes say no. Let's pray.